And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Grimsby Winsby. There's another bowyer in town. And what's the legacy at Huddersfield? We'll let you decide. This is the Totally Football League show. Extra time in association with Paddy Power. Hello, I'm your host, Ali Maxwell, joined by George Ellick. Hello, George. Hello. I think it's only fair that if last week in the intro we mentioned that Oxford had just beaten fierce rival Swindon and that you were a very, very happy Oxford fan, it's probably worth mentioning that this week you lost to Cobblers. Clobbered by Cobblers is how I feel at the moment. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Ali. And really nice that later on in the show I get to dissect what's going on at Oxford, which is an, a, an enjoyable thing to do for prep at the moment. And the things aren't going too well for my team, but... This is a good segue. It did go well for a couple of other teams in midweek. Mm. And so we're going to be doing our midweek reviews at the top of the show as ever. Or the Tuffle Settmers, of course, as they're known. We're going to be doing the weekend previews with Paddy Power at the end. And in the middle, we have a fantastic interview conducted expertly by yourself, Ali Maxwell, with Phil Buckingham on what is going on at Huddersfield. Well, I think we should get straight into these midweek reviews then, George, because some may look at the midweek slate and think, ah, not many games, not much of interest. It's not a proper midweek of EFL action. But that's exactly why we do these awards every week without fail, because these are the fixtures, the results, I should say, really, that get, I think, underreported, that slip through the cracks because they're in midweek, they're in international week, everyone wants to have a bit of a break. But at this stage of the season, arguably the results are even more significant and they have more impact uh, on the league table and on crunch time, which is uh, officially what we are entering right now. <laughs> so let's not hesitate and let's talk about some teams of the week and some players of the week in League One. Yeah, it would have been very easy for us to sit back and take a week off, but that is not our style. <laughs> These results need to be covered. And Ali, you're going to lead us off with our League One team of the week. Yeah, four fixtures and four winners. So four contenders there for uh, shout out to Shrewsbury, who went to inform Burton and left with all three points. A 2-1 away win, really impressive. After a bit of a blip for Shrews, it, it's now looking a little rosier. Two wins and two draws in their last four. Cobblers beating your beloved Yellows, of course, a huge, huge result for them. Very significant. Um, but I'm going to talk about Blackpool who I think are the team of the week. I think they are the team of the month in League One. And they are a team who are going to have a significant impact on the months of April and May as well. Because in beating Peterborough 3-1 on Tuesday night, they moved into the playoff places and they've just been skulking around, sort of circling like a angry tangerine shark for the last few weeks. Finally, they're in the playoffs with... 12 games still to play for Blackpool. They are, along with Donny, the ones with games in hand. And I suppose there's a few things to, to touch on here. They really have gone from dark horses to under the radar, under the radar playoff chasers to looming large in the rearview mirror of League One's top dogs in a, in a matter of a few weeks. It's eight wins in their last 13, four draws of which two were last minute equalisers from the opposition. So it could be an even better run if they could have held on and just the one defeat. But Tuesday night against Posh, above them in the league table. This isn't a run that might be petering out. They might be running out of gas. It looks to me like they're getting stronger. They were at it straight away in this game. Just one minute on the clock when Sally Kai Kai won the ball on the left side and Yates smashed home five seconds later from about 25 yards. It's running into Ward, but Kai Kai wins it back well. Now Yates with a shot. What a goal from Jerry Yates. And what a start to this game for Blackpool! He is in rare form at the moment. 16 goals for the season now. Uh, Jerry Yates up front for Blackpool. They were dominant in the first half and they should have been two or three up. But of course, that meant in stoppage time, Joe Ward, the Peterborough wingback, fired home a brilliant volley at the back post. And 
you know, we often give credit to teams who have this situation, you know, knocked back just before half time, heading into the interval. You can imagine a, a kind of angry emotions, feeling that that's not really fair based on the balance of play. And we often say, you know, that can go one of two ways. You could either feel sorry for yourself and you could drop your performance levels in the second half because of those emotions, or you can show resolve. And that's what Blackpool under Neil Critchley did. And they've been showing resolve throughout this run. They've got seven first team players missing through injury at the moment because of those injuries and international call-ups for young Daniel Ballard. This was their ninth different centre-back pairing of the campaign, which is astonishing when you consider that they've got the second best defensive record in the league. We're so often told... Keep your centre-back partnership consistent. You know, stick with two and let them build a partnership and a relationship. But here's Critchley having had nine different pairings and still one of the best defensive records in the league. Now, that, I think, reflects pretty damn well on Neil Critchley, on Colin Calderwood and on the work they put in in defensive structure on the training ground. But not just that. Many onlookers and Peterborough fans in midweek commenting on just how well coached they look out of possession snapping at the heels of their opposition in possession, winning the ball back and able to create chances in transition to create chances from set pieces to create chances from open play as well. So it all reflects pretty damn well on Neil Critchley, to be honest. And yeah, if you're not keeping too much of an eye on League One this season, let that change as we move into the last six weeks of the regular season and keep a very, very close eye on Blackpool. They are our Team of the week, and for the first time ever, I've decided to go rogue and give a team of the month as well. Blackpool League One's <laughs> team of the month for March. Yeah, time for my League One player of the week now. I'm not going to give a player of the month. And Ali, at the top of the show, you ribbed me for Oxford's poor week. And for Oxford fans, just as difficult as it's been seeing the playoff push derailed a little bit has been Swindon's move out of the relegation zone, back-to-back victories and a 1-0 win against Bristol Rovers really pushing them away from the drop. And I'm going to give player of the week to the goal scorer, Jack Payne, mainly for one moment of magic, which I'll get onto later on. But it was an interesting game because it's two sides who between which there's no love lost, it's fair to say as well. Not quite the same rivalry as the two teams I mentioned, but certainly two teams who like to beat each other. Joey Barton, who's come into Bristol Rovers and seen probably an upturn of form, if not necessarily in results. And a Swindon side who looked, I mean, we saw John Sheridan's uh, interview after their game last week, where he was seemingly having a bit of an existential crisis as to what was going on at Swindon Town. The game kind of pivoted on an early shot from Zane, well, early in the second half shot from Zane Westbrook, which deflected off Jonah Ayunga and went into the back of the net. Ayunga immediately claimed the goal, pointing at himself and putting his hand in the air. And Westbrook <laughs> seemed to kind of nod at him and agree. Only for about 15 seconds later, the linesman to stick up his flag because if it did indeed come off Ayunga, he was in an offside <laughs> position and the goal therefore didn't stand. So it stayed at nil-nil. Jonah there may be learning that he should be a little bit more... Uh, just a bit cuter, I think, when it comes to claiming a goal, if it means that goal might be wiped off. But the goal itself from Jack Payne was, I guess, Jack Payne in a nutshell, really. I mean, all the talk is about Scott Twine and his shooting ability and his shooting from range ability. And, and I reckon Payne's wings are clipped a little bit because you can't have two people who are so direct and always look to drive a goal, even if Payne is, is more of a ball-carrying threat. But the goal itself did come from a Scott Twine free kick, which obviously he knuckleballed about halfway into the wall and it spilled out to Payne, who was the second man over the free kick. Picked up here. Oh, what a goal by Payne! Superb reactions as the free kick deflected back off the wall. Two touches took him into the box and then a brilliant left-footed strike into the far corner. Whether it was deflected or not, I don't really care. When you're scoring a long-range goal through a group of bodies after a free kick, I think you can allow a nick and it was still... Really quick bit of thinking, a good bit of technical ability and a brilliant strike which got them the win. Two wins on the chop that is now for Sheridan since that existential crisis. Huge. And given given that, it would be easy to call this a resurrection. But I'm going to look to the art world, Ali, because I think a lot of Swindon fans would have told you that the football on display at the county ground for the last couple of months has been pretty medieval. And you know what came after the medieval in the art world? No, this is I a... This is a Sherrod Naissance. Oh, okay. A Sherrod Naissance. Nice. 
I like Thanks. that. Presumably, a lot like this situation as well. After the medieval period, there was a short period of of existential crisis amongst artists uh, the world over, just like Correct. John Sheridan yeah. himself suffered. And and then comes the Renaissance, the Sheridnaissance. Is that how you're saying it? Well, I, I just think it's a bit it's a bit of a stretch to say anything divine is going on at the county ground, but we can stretch to uh, to artistic manner. So yeah, Sheridnaissance. I'm calling this. We've had the resurrections in the past. This is a new era. I love it. I absolutely love it. I'm going to talk about our League Two team of the week. And it came from a huge game on the Furness Peninsula. It was 22nd place Barrow against 24th place Grimsby. Barrow under the magical Rob Kelly had won four in a row. Of course, they were going for a a club record football league, five wins in a row. And Grimsby, well, they had managed four wins in their previous 30 that is 3-0, league games. So, of course, Barrow notched a comfortable home win here. Hold on, hold on. No, no, those are the notes I wrote before the match took place, <laughs> when the Barrow home win looked nailed on. But I've got to actually make some changes here because they didn't, they didn't win, George. Far from it. No. Grimsby left with a 1-0 win. Grimsby, our League 2 team of the week. And I just love this because at this stage of the season... As observers, you want to be you want to start to be sure of certain things, right? And Grimsby's last few months and their league position and their gap to safety has been growing. The performance is so poor that that maybe some people felt a Grimsby relegation was as certain as, let's say, a Norwich City promotion right now. But whisper it quietly, and actually you've mentioned it a couple of times uh, at a level above a whisper. Grimsby have been playing quite well for about three weeks now. I'm not going to go over the top here and say they've suddenly become a top team in in the standards of League Two, but certainly not playing like absolute relegation fodder. They've drawn their previous four games against Carlisle, Colu, Tranmere and Mansfield. And in all of those games, they'd had spells, whether it was 20 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes longer, where they were the better side. But they couldn't get over the line. They couldn't get the win. They've become capable defensively under Paul Hurst. Perhaps no surprise based on his track record, but going forward, still struggling to create. And on the odd occasion that they did so, Linnell John Lewis, their big striker, missing big chances. So after having the better of the first half on Tuesday night against Barrow with no reward, you'd have been forgiven for thinking that we were kind of following the recent trend, one that ended with a nil-nil or maybe Barrow nicking a winner as, as Grimsby's confidence waned. But Grimsby had a wild card. 20-year-old midfielder Luke Spokes making his fifth league start and his first in just over two months. John Lewis sets it back. Oh, and the shot from Spokes! What a goal! Luke Spokes! You'll be delighted to say that I can confirm alongside the audio, Spokes wheeled away his first (laughs) ever league goal. A sensational strike it was. Go and check that out. Such a meaningful goal as well. Spokes the hero, as was Roland Menais at the back. An absolute rock for Grimsby to keep this rampant Barrow side at bay. And it's amazing how easily you can spin it now, George. Five unbeaten for Grimsby. It was four draws and now a win, a a crucial win against a team, of course, that they are chasing down. And a game on Saturday against Walsall, a win there would put six points between them and Walsall. And it feels like they head into it with a bit of a spring in their step. If they can get a win on the weekend, all bets are off. It really will be a fight down to the wire at the bottom of League Two. Stripped to the waist, let's scrap it out. And Paul Hurst, although he's you know physically very short, he's not a bad person to have in a, in a topless relegation battle, I reckon. Um, and uh, <laughs> it would be one hell of a feat if they can pull it off. Grimsby Town, our League Two team of the midweek. Player of the midweek now. And regular listeners to this show will remember that we used to do a manager of the midweek as well before we realised we were biting off far more than we could chew. Mm. And this is the one time where I could have chosen a manager as player of the midweek because Joby McEnough is the current player manager extraordinaire in the uh, in the EFL at Leighton Orient. I haven't chosen him, but I thought, and I was listening to his post-match interview after their uh, 1-0 win at Carlisle and thought this was really interesting on the just the mechanics at the moment of him managing the team whilst on the pitch. It's actually, strangely enough, probably easier being out there to manage in terms of, again, we've got a game plan, we've got a way of doing things. We obviously do a lot of work going into the games to be prepared. So in terms of actually managing that out on the pitch, um, you know, it's been it's been fine. You know, again, I have to emphasise the 
the trust and um, you know the, the quality of staff that I've got around me. So again, you know that has been, you know, for me not an issue at all with with those guys on the side, Sens, Brillo, Matty, um, you know, and, and things are in good hands if I'm on the pitch. And obviously, once I come back off, then you know I can go back into that role. So at the moment, um, it's it's working okay. Yeah. So Joby saying there that he actually finds it easier to manage his team whilst playing, and I'm sure that makes it quite easy for him not to drop himself if his form dips. So very clever from you, Joby. <laughs> like what you're doing there. But another player he brought back into the fold when he initially took over as interim manager. He dropped himself, and he raised some eyebrows by dropping Connor Wilkinson as well. I think there may have been some fitness issues, but Orient fans a bit surprised surprised that their star marksman from earlier in the season wasn't getting any games. He was going through a scoring drought, not anymore. He scored in back-to-back 1-0 victories away at Newport and away at Carlisle, ending a run of 12 games without a goal. And he is my League Two player of the week because the goal against Newport, albeit impressive that they went to probably the informed side in the division, not playing on their on their terrible pitch at Rodney Parade, but playing at the Cardiff Stadium and got the win was important, even though it was a back post tap-in. This goal he scored was absolutely superb against Lovely. the Carlisle side, who are still battling to get back into the playoffs. And Leighton Orient, as Joby will tell you himself in that interview, also feel that they are now back battling to get into the playoffs after this couple of back-to-back victories on the road. Wilkinson nearly scored what could have been the goal of the season just before this winner. With an amazing... It's one of those touches and shots where he's taken it with the outside of his left foot and then struck it without the ball hitting the floor with his left foot, having gone back around him just over the bar. And you could see the pain on his face as he knew that he had missed an opportunity to score an incredible goal and get the win. <laughs> but just a few minutes later, Lawrence Figaro, whose distribution is always very good indeed, gets the ball late on, launches a huge kick up the field. Wilkinson running onto it, keeper coming out, gets there just in front of him and lofts the ball over the keeper into the back of the net from about 25 yards out from a tight angle and a goal good enough to win any game. Vigaro's eager to get on with it. Just two minutes left of normal time here. Sends it long. Oh, the keeper's come a long way out and what a finish! Connor Wilkinson! Paul Farman came a long, long way from home and paid the ultimate price. This feels to me like two pretty significant victories back to back. I have expressed my concern over Leighton Orient after the first couple of performances under Joe McEnough. They've made me look like an absolute fool. And with the manager enjoying his role on the pitch whilst managing the side and Connor Wilkinson back in the goals, I can see why there is some optimism amongst uh, those involved at Orient that they could, if they carry on this run of form, could get back in with a shout of getting in the top seven. Connor Wilkinson's left foot is an absolute dream. A lot of people would uh, stop at Wes Houlihan when asked to name <laughs> League Two's best left foot. But the real intellectuals among us, the real Make League sure. Two connoisseurs, we're Connor Wilkinson fans. Connor connoisseurs, is that, is that what his fans are called? <laughs> That's what we call ourselves, yeah. <laughs> Make sure anybody who hasn't seen it, do go and have a look at the uh, the strike and the goal. Both of them uh, towards the end of the highlights package uh, would have been a hell of a goal if the first one had gone in. So, as you can tell, very significant results, very significant performances from teams and individuals in midweek. Still plenty more League One and Two chat to come as we look ahead to the weekend. But next up, we're asking what's going on at Huddersfield. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus big gamble On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Uh, brilliant for us to be joined by Phil Buckingham, uh, writer for The Athletic, who we've had on this pod before who, since joining The Athletic a few months ago, has just been churning out great piece after great piece and better for us, or more importantly for us, often EFL-related. So, Phil, firstly, thank you for the work that you're doing covering the EFL so uh, in such an in-depth manner for The Athletic, but also thanks for joining us on today's pod. No problem. I enjoy the EFL stuff. Very, very... You can get your teeth into it, that's for sure. Absolutely. It is a rich tapestry, I think it's it fair is. to say. It is. Um, Plenty to go at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Including 
Huddersfield Town. And yes. I'm not sure I've seen, uh, apart from some excellent local coverage of, of Huddersfield Town by the examiner, particularly a writer called Stephen Chicken, I haven't seen much of a, a an overview in the wider media. So I was really interested to see that you'd done something of a deep dive, classic athletic style into the state of Huddersfield Town and their current situation. Why did you take on this story? What was it about Huddersfield that piqued your interest and, and meant you wanted to dive in a little deeper? Well, largely because it's it's easy to forget, but it's two years since Huddersfield were in the Premier League. It, it seems like about 10 years, and I think for some fans it feels like it didn't really happen. Um, yeah, it's two years ago they were finishing the season with a with a one-all draw against Manchester United, and you know ever, ever since it's been been quite a sorry tale really uh, obviously they survived last season um, pr- perhaps against the odds after the start they had to the season and then they've tried to go in a different direction this year and it, it's got no better the club's finished 18th last year it's 18th now I don't suppose it'll go down I think there's worse teams than them in the, in the championship but I, I guess you, you can feel it's an unhappy club I don't think you have to speak to too many fans to get that feeling and yeah, that, that's ultimately why. why. Why is it such an unhappy club? And hopefully we'll try to uncover some of those reasons. Mm. Yeah, you had some really interesting interviews in the article and I think significantly prominent quotes as well from a chat with Phil Hodgkinson, who's the owner of, yeah. of Huddersfield Town, the chairman. Um, what was he like to, to deal with? How open was he to, to talking to you um, around this story? Yeah, well, well, Phil Hodgkinson, for those who don't know, sort of came in at the back end, the very back end of the Premier League. His takeover happened as the club was falling out of the Premier League. So he's been the one that's had to pick up the pieces um, from a from a very costly second season in the Premier League, poor recruitment. And that's that's the the legacy he's ha- he's inherited. Um, Dean Hoyle put it a different way, uh, with a few swear words in us about what, what, what he inherited. But yeah, Phil Hodgkinson, I don't suppose he's the most popular chairman of Huddersfield in Huddersfield's history um any chairman is based upon results aren't they ultimately and mm. they haven't won enough league games for him to be a popular owner I do have sympathy for him in some respects he's inherited a, a high wage bill an unsustainable wage bill but ultimately supporters want to see better than what they are right now and I think Phil Hodgkinson holds held his hands up to some of his mistakes I think he came in thinking that Huddersfield had just fallen out of the Premier League, it would be only natural for them to challenge for promotion the following season. Um, but, you know, they, they haven't even come close to that. They had a disastrous start under his sort of... he Jan Seawert was already in charge when Phil Hodgkinson came in. He stood by him, which was disastrous, really. Mm. Appointed, appointed Danny Cowley and steadied the ship, um, saved the club from relegation to League One, which would have been even more disastrous. And then he's gone in a very different direction. I think it feels like a divided supporter base on that front as well in terms of was he right to get rid of Danny Cowley and was he right to go with Carlos Corberan in terms of completely different styles, mm. um, the pragmatic style of Danny Cowley and it's more expansive style of, you know, in the Bielsa mould mm. of, of Carlos Corberan. And, you know... It hasn't particularly worked this season. He would he would point to a lot of injury problems and a, a club and a squad in transition. And I think he would probably ask to to be judged on on next season when because a, a lot of the legacy players will leave this this summer. The wage bill yeah. will come crashing down, and it feels a bit more like a blank canvas. But um, yeah, he's got work to do to to rebuild the, the sort of trait, the trust and, and faith of supporters. The decision to part company with Danny Cowley and to go in the the Corberan direction was a I mean it was a case of very strong leadership and and Hodgkinson making a a big big decision that he felt was right for the future of the club and I I always find it interesting to to maybe look back as we are now nine months on uh, you've spoken to him for this piece uh, about Corberan as uh, specifically when he made the change you know, it was partly to justify it, but his quotes about Corbran and, and what he hoped Corbran would do for Huddersfield, you know, he, he was kind of enthralled to him in a certain way. Uh, do you think nine months on where, as you say, we've seen some encouraging performances, but probably still more p- poor performances than good ones. Do you get the feeling he's still as keen and as supportive of the reality of Corbran as he was with the idea of Corbran? 
I do. He highlighted the injury problems they've had in the last two or three months as a, as a huge mitigating factor in, in the dip that they've had. Uh, around Christmas time, they were starting to come good and, and that coincided with with um, Hodgkinson handing Corbran a new contract on Christmas Eve, which, you know, that that's a as big an endorsement of someone's um, progress as, as you're going to find. Mm. Um, Great Christmas you know, present it, as well. Absolutely. Feliz absolutely. Navidad, Carlos. Perhaps not for the journalist that had to cover it on Christmas Eve, <laughs> but, but um, yeah. Uh, so, so he's 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 clearly a fan of his, um, and I, I don't think there's any great panic. I don't think they they're going to get sucked into that relegation fight. I know they're only seven points off, and Rochdale have got sorry, Rochdale Rotherham have got games in hand, but I, it feels like they're they're just going to slide through the rest of this season, keep it under control, and then build again in the summer because. I think you you can't go down this road so emphatically saying this is the style, this is the approach you want to take for your football club and then rip it up after six, nine months. Um, I think you have to give it a, a good go. And, you know, it. I think perhaps the the one concern for, for Huddersfield Town fans is, is the inexperience generally across the club. You've got a largely inexperienced owner, a largely inexperienced head coach, and a, and a largely inexperienced head of football operations in Lee Bromby. So that that would be a slight concern for them. H- do they have the nous and, and, and the acumen and the experience to go and oversee this rebuild this summer? I'd, there'll be plenty who, who have doubts, but I guess at, I guess at the same time, it, the, the, sort of the deepest regret for Huddersfield Town is that here they are sort of ambling through another season with with no real excitement or, or or anything to to cling to, and they would have hoped that when they came out of the Premier League, that those days were behind them. At, at worst, they'd be challenging for top ten. You, you know, you know, at least putting up a fight for the top six, and and that that that'll be their biggest regret because you know they, they'll they'll see a club like Norwich who who came down pretty feebly out of the Premier League, but but look at their response this year. There's a, yeah. there's a cl- clear plan, a clear strategy on how to get back to the Premier League, how to evolve the club. There just hasn't been that Huddersfield. And, and the, it all comes back to poor recruitment in that ahead of that second season and, and they're paying for those mistakes now. Well, the title of the piece is Huddersfield Town. It's like the Premier League never happened. What's the legacy? Absolutely nothing. It, it's a quote from someone in the piece that you spoke to. And yeah, if you take out the promotion season under David Wagner, the two Premier League seasons, their previous finishes were 19th, 16th, 17th, 19th. And then post that three-year dream, if you will, is 18th Mm. last season and currently sitting in 18th in the table. So it's almost as if those years never happened. And, And as you've said, and it comes across strongly in the piece, that's being felt very strongly by fans because I don't think Huddersfield fans are pie in the sky with what they expect from the club. But I don't no. think it's too much to expect that when you're given what is an insane leg up in terms of parachute payments, that you might expect two years on to be in a slightly stronger situation than this. I mean, it does lead into, as you mentioned, a huge summer ahead, a reduction in parachute payments and plenty to do on the recruitment side. Do you get the sense that heading into the summer, the club are, are ready for this? They know what they're facing and they've got a plan in place? Well, th- they'll tell you they are um, for sure, um, you know. You know the high earners, people like Alex Pritchard, disastrous really for the club in terms of outlay, transfer fee, and wages. I think a, a pertinent point from that piece is that Phil Hodgkinson said, I think it. Excuse me if the figures are slightly off, but I think he said they'd got 197 million pounds in 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 prize money and, and central payments from the Premier League during two years, and they'd they'd spent 230. Mm. Um, and you and you if you look at the recruitment from that. From that uh, 2018, from the January and the summer, people like, you know, Mbenza, Diakabi, Congola, the, the the outlay was in excess of 50 million. So mm. that that's a quarter of what they earned in two years, and that's just on transfer fees. Chucking the wages as well, higher still. It's, it's just a just awful, awful mistakes, aren't they? And and when you think, I guess supporters will look to 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 others around them and think. I think of a club like Burnley, a mid-sized club like them, got a fantastic training facility now. You know, they, they, they spent 15, 20 million on one player. 
think of the training facility that could have got Huddersfield Town and that then that sets you up for future generations bringing players through that are your own and that will be a big focus for Huddersfield Town moving forward they, they will put emphasis on the academy they will try and bring young players through you know look at O'Brien this year he's, he's been terrific for them in, in midfield um, and, and that, that will be an emphasis they will bring the wage bill down I, I think they're looking I think famously they went up to the Premier League with a with a wage bill of twelve million a year, which is is unheard of really. But that that's the level they will be going back to, and they still think that's possible to to be challenged at the right end of the Premier League. But it needs very very astute recruitment if you, if you are going to do that, and and good players coming through your academy as well. That summer before the second season in the Premier League is such a classic sort of crossroads for oh, a club is. in the position of Huddersfield. It's like don't spend lots of money potentially get relegated and be accused of a lack of ambition don't spend lots of money and continue your upwards trajectory and be praised for sticking to your guns do spend lots of money improve your squads and establish yourself in the in the premier league or do spend lots of money do it badly waste lots of money and find yourself on the hook when when you get relegated to the championship it's an absolutely well it's a it's a tough decision to make damned if you do damned if you don't and just, well, but you can, you know, there well, there are cases of success. But you're right; you, it's easier said than if, done. When you fail, way. people reverse engineer, look yeah, at the decisions you made, and course. decide they were the wrong ones. And and that's where I have some sympathy, I suppose. Philip, thank you so much for chatting us through Huddersfield Town current situation. Brilliant piece on the Athletic. As I said, no it's, uh, just search Philip Buckingham or Huddersfield Town on the Athletic site. If you're not a subscriber, head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. You'll get an exclusive offer of just £4 a month for six months. You'll be able to read Philip's piece among many, many more pieces on there as well. Thanks as ever, Phil. I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Weekend preview time now. Each game significant for Leagues 1 and 2 because absolutely nothing is certain. Nothing is decided yet in these leagues and that is something that you absolutely love to see. We're going to start with the Friday night game which you can watch on Sky Sports and it's a really, really intriguing fixture. Now it's Oxford against Lincoln. George, you're going to tell me about Oxford United because I must say, as an outsider, I wouldn't say a completely neutral outsider because your mood impacts my work (laughs) and therefore I do want Oxford United to do well. But I'm a little concerned that they're not quite the team we hoped they would be a couple of months ago as they roared from right at the bottom of the table to somewhere around the playoff places. But there's quite a lot at stake in this game, isn't there? Because you're also basically going to your ex partner's house an ex-partner that you loved unconditionally that left you somewhat in the lurch and who now has if anything a better looking partner I think it's worse than that I think we've invited unwittingly our ex-partner to come around with his better half and suddenly we've found out it's going to be shown live on television it's an absolute <laughs> it's, it's an absolute disaster I mean this is and is your current partner going to get really pissed and make a fool of himself <laughs> Uh, I don't think. I mean, if if we lose, Carl's interview is always quite interesting. I don't think I don't think booze has anything to do with it. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned that because a lot of Oxford fans are actually quite annoyed with um, with the comments of of Carl Robinson after the the Northampton game, where he said after the match that the game plan was just to get to an hour at nil nil and then try and win it from there. And Oxford fans saying, "Sorry, why why are we trying to get to an hour at nil nil against a team in the relegation zone?" 
So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I don't know this for sure, but I expect there's some level of personal rivalry between Kyle Robinson and, and Michael Appleton, as there invariably will be when you know when you're managing a side who has such a strong relationship between the fan base and a former manager. I have a feeling Kyle will want to do his best to show that his Oxford are better than what Michael Appleton can produce. Um, so it's going to be interesting for that reason. But Oxford do, as you mentioned, come into this uh, in a really poor run of form. They've only scored in three of their last 11 games, which is a really staggering record when you think that you know, no matter how the results have normally gone under Carl Robinson at Oxford, goals have always been easy to come by. Uh, and it comes after, after a club record run of wins in a row as well. Part of this is to do with the fixtures themselves. It's no excuse. It's a reason. The Oxford's record against teams in the top 10 is incredibly poor. They've won just once this season uh, against teams in the top 10 at the moment. That was a couple of weeks ago against a Darren Morless Doncaster uh, where they won 3-0. But I'm not sure that really counts because this Donny side at the moment under Andy Butler don't look quite as strong as the team who got into that position in the first place. Uh, So what's happened? Marcus McGuane's injury, who's in on loan from Nottingham Forest, has been a key, key factor. His dynamism from midfield, his ball-carrying ability, his passing, his uh, willingness to uh, stretch into wide areas is just a skill set that Oxford completely lack now. Uh, I'm always interested to, to ask when we talk about missing players having an impact on the team. Would you have said McGuane would be a big miss when he was fit and playing? Or is it kind of one of those hindsight ones? Not saying that that's any, anything wrong, but no, you know what no. I mean? Sometimes sometimes when you're on a poor run and you look for answers, it can often fall at the door of one key man who's been injured. I think if he'd been injured three or four games prior, then it wouldn't have been a concern. Um, I have I have a couple of DMs with a couple of Oxford fans at the time saying Ooh. this could be an absolute disaster. So, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, You've got it, the receipts. I've got the receipts, basically. I know I know that me and you, the name McGuane has come up between in conversation between you and I quite a lot in the last 48 hours, so I can see where you're coming from. Um, but he, there's no other player that can fill that skill set. You know, you're looking at Alex Gorin, who's, who's a very good defensive midfielder, who's going through a poor run of form. Cameron Brannigan, who a lot of the creator's responsible, responsibility now falls on his shoulders. Liam Kelly, who just, I mean, the fact that he was a a very strong championship player in recent history, he he hasn't hit those levels for Oxford. Remarkable to think that he's still on loan from Feyenoord at the moment. The the one player who probably could have filled that role was a player brought in in the summer to play right back in Sean Clare, who's now gone to Burton and is playing very, very well there in a similar role and scored the kind of goal that you could see McGuane scoring in midweek. But he's been sent out on loan and I have a feeling that that even if he impresses there, given what's going on at, at Burton at the moment, Carl Robinson's probably going to have a bit of a, a bit of a job on convincing Claire that his future belongs at Oxford if he's wanted. Uh, there's a, a lot of chopping and changing in terms of personnel as well. We're seeing that across the leagues. Uh, you know, whether it's Sam Winnell, Dan Adji, Matt Taylor. Um, you know, a lot of rotation up front in the fullback areas. A couple of injuries. Sam Long out at the moment too. Carl Robinson doesn't normally change his uh, formations, but he went with a 4-2-3-1 on Tuesday against uh, Northampton with both uh, Grayson and Gorin sitting, and it didn't really work, even though Grayson's set-piece delivery was was pretty impressive. So, yeah, Oxford don't come into this in good form. I said on this show last week it didn't come to pass, but like Swansea with Cardiff, almost having that bit of something else to focus on rather than just a playoff push and a little kind of axe to grind with the old Appleton story. Maybe that will improve them. Maybe the fact it's on Sky will give another bit of impetus in order to try and show what they can do. There's also a lot of talk about an incoming takeover as well with, uh, you know, a, a few pretty lively businessmen who've had previous dealings with the club and who I think would make Oxford one of the richer teams in the EFL being touted uh, as coming up soon. So maybe some focus on the long-term future rather than the short-term future as well at the club, which could mean that they they take their eye off the ball maybe a bit in this playoff push, but certainly not in great form. But as we've said before, nor although better signs, nor Lincoln really. Mm. Lively businessmen and EFL clubs. That's never gone wrong, has it? Uh, uh, I, I love the idea of Paul. I, I think I'm on team Carl Robinson in the uh, stop banging on about your ex. Uh, discussion. Like you can just mm. imagine how many times he's come into work this season, and someone's gone. Michael's Lincoln are doing very well, aren't they? <laughs> yes, yes they are. Yes they are. But he's got you know he's got those nice low knees from the Premier League, that sort of thing. But you are right to say that that Lincoln themselves are 
lacking a little bit of confidence. They've been in poor form. It's seen them drop away from the top two places that they occupied for the majority of the season. They're four points off second at the moment and six points above seventh. So in that, they're in that kind of playoff vortex at the moment where on the one hand, you're looking up and thinking we're not a million miles away from the automatics, but when you're on poor form, you're looking down as well, a little nervously over your shoulder at, at the likes of Blackpool, who, who's seemingly coming roaring up behind you. So the recent form of two wins, four draws, four defeats, not ideal. I would say that they played pretty well at the Stadium of Light last week, uh, getting a one-all draw from behind against Sunderland. A, a confidence boost, I think you have to say. Liam Bridkert is the Marcus McGuain of Lincoln in that his presence or absence seems to be pretty crucial in the eyes of the fan base and it's pretty hard to argue looking at their record while he was out for a month or so that they missed him uh, he's back now he was excellent at Sunderland I was delighted to see that when he was injured there was one or two occasions where he led the warm-up uh, for Lincoln which I think goes to show that sort of leadership role that he has at the club because he is an experienced football league midfielder and most of Lincoln's players are young inexperienced players. So crucial for, for Brickett to be back, which he is. Callum Mortem as well is a player that we really like. He was so good, wasn't he? Especially in the playoffs for Northampton last season. He really caught the eye. Not just that mop of red hair and the, the, the tall six foot four frame, but with the intensity of his pressing game from the top of the pitch, his his strength in the air and also a goal scorer's instinct. And he missed five months through injury, so he's never got going on this loan at Lincoln. But scored the equaliser, a good goal. He, he got the better of Luko 9, which not many League One attackers can say at the moment, uh, an equaliser. So I'm looking forward to a big Morton performance. It's, it's much needed with their only other recognised number nine, Tom Hopper, being out recently. But the exciting thing for me as a neutral switching this game on Friday night is in Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers, Lincoln have two of the most exciting young players in the EFL, I think, this season. Um, both of them on loan. Johnson from Nottingham Forest, Rogers from Manchester City. And they are the sort of players that get you off your seat or off your feet if you're watching from the sofa. They carry <laughs> the ball, they dribble, they beat players. They can both go either way and they, they make it very hard to defend against. So I wouldn't want to be an Oxford defender with Johnson or Rogers picking up the ball with space to move into because those are the areas where they can really hurt a team. So looking forward to this game because there are so many... Just good, exciting, technical players on show. It'll be a great League One fixture. So do watch this one on Friday night. Just a good team, Lincoln, even if they've been on poor form. And I have a sneaky feeling that they might come out on top here. Paddy Power don't agree with me. Their traders have Oxford as the six to four favourites, uh, Lincoln at 15 to eight, and the draw at 21 to 10. So a fascinating fixture. Friday night, Oxford against Lincoln. Okay, time for match of the weekend in League Two. And George, the remix of the phrase, where there's a will, there's a way, is for us, where there's a managerial change, there's a discussion about said managerial change. We will crowbar it in anywhere on Totally Football League Show Extra Time. In this instance, we're talking Exeter against Salford. And that's why we start with you telling me what you think about Richie Wellens' dismissal and the appointment of Gary Boyer. There are so many narratives that come through this story, this this whole story with Salford and the management. Of course, you've got the headline stuff, the stuff that Jamie Carragher is posting about, where you know Gary Neville talks about the need to be have patience with managers, and then rips through two of them within a season, whilst they're seemingly not doing too badly in terms of the league table. You've got. Richie Wellens proving that it's just lazy for EFL pundits such as you and I, Ali, to see a manager moving from one from one club where he's had success to another and expecting him just to be able to repeat that in a short period of time because we expected Wellens ball at Salford and we didn't get Wellens ball. You know, he's he's known to be a manager implementing an attacking style of football. We didn't really see that. They were winless in their last four. That's even more troubling when you look at the teams that they were winless against. Scunthorpe, Crawley, Colchester, and then a complete no-show in his last game against Cheltenham that they lost 2-0. Yes, they won the Papa John's Trophy. I am perfectly comfortable with the fact that winning the Papa John's Trophy and then being sacked a week later is no problem because, let's be honest, three points is more important in one game than winning the Papa John's Trophy. Their last two wins have been both 1-0 against the really struggling at the time Barrow and Port Vale. They had a 0-0 draw with Southend too. 
he didn't do the job that he was brought in to do. He didn't make them more attacking. He didn't get this group of high-earning, high, you know, technical, proficient goal-scoring players doing what they were meant to do. So, is it as simple as saying fair enough? I don't think so. I think it when we're outside looking in, we don't know what is going on at the clubs. We don't know what the relationship is like between the management and the board. We don't know what the relationship is like between the manager and the players. Um, you know, I've spoken to people at clubs who talk about how important personalities are of managers. And when you hire someone, you don't necessarily know what you're getting yourself in for. So it's hard for us to judge and I'm not going to do so. What we probably can do is judge the manager coming in and I did wonder when Gary Boyer was announced was it a case of, of Gary Neville or Roy Keane or Paul Scholes or whoever it was going on transfer mark to looking at managers who've recently been promoted from League Two and just looking for the ones who would maybe be available because of course Gary Boyer got his Blackpool side out of League Two the first time of asking in pretty difficult circumstances he then went to Bradford and as seems to be the Bradford way they did it with Stuart McCall in uh, in League One they did it with Gary Boyer in League Two, sacking him for falling out of the playoffs only for about a year later to find themselves embroiled in a relegation fight. And then you actually look back and think, hmm, maybe Gary Bowyer was actually quite a good manager for Bradford. So there are positives here. And even I read the press release from when Bowyer was sacked from Bradford saying he's shown that he can build a side capable of a promotion push, but the last few weeks have, sh- have dipped below that form. Well, again, if he's shown that he can build a team capable of a promotion push, probably best not to sack him. And that's what Salford will be hoping they get. Ryan Conway, the Athletics Derby writer, providing some excellent insight as ever, though, into the appointment. It seems to be more of a case of a bit of a short-term fix. Gary Neville calling Derby County manager Wayne Rooney to discuss the possibility of taking Boyer, who is the under-23 coach at Derby, until the end of the season. Both, therefore, putting Boyer into the shop window for future management jobs, possibility of compensation should Salford decide to keep him. Or if they find somebody else, he could end up going back to Derby as well. So a bit of a situation that suits all parties. I mean, Salford don't come into this game in very good form. They'll be hoping that they've changed the one thing that they can change to get a little bit of a reaction. They've still got an incredibly good squad, I believe. Henderson, Lowe, Hunter, Torre, Haladki, probably the best keeper in League Two so far this season. Deshaun Bernard, a loanee from Manchester United, who I think is probably one of the best centre-backs in the league so far this season. Jordan Turnbull, also very good. Just six points off the playoffs still. They've obviously made this decision as a last throw of the dice to see if they can somehow turn their season around. I think long-term, Richie Wellens next season would have had Salford in a pretty good place and we now enter another period of instability. So, um, yeah, Salford, (laughs) not a... not showing themselves necessarily as a wise option as as a club to leave a management post for because you might not be in it for, for too long. Well, if Salford had been in the news for the wrong reasons, I guess, if you call a pretty extreme approach to hiring and firing managers the, the wrong reasons, that's a, a matter of taste, I suppose. Exeter have been in the news for great reasons. Former Academy product Ollie Watkins being called up to the England squad and it's everything we love about the EFL, isn't it? You know, Exeter are still benefiting from sell-on clauses inserted into Watkins's sale to Brentford. I think the reporting on The Athletic was when he makes his England debut, that would be a million pounds going to Brentford, 15% of which will be sent straight down the motorway to Exeter. Quite a long trip, that, with quite a lot of money in the back. So I hope they've got... Good security. Did you know, George, that the way Exeter City handle a windfall, as they call it, which is essentially money from player sales or a cup run, for example, sort of bonus money, if you will, they siphon off a third to infrastructure development, which kind of purports to the club's thriving academy. They put a third into the playing squad, the playing budget for the manager, uh, and a third to invest in the improved running and profitability of the club as a whole. Now, that is something that we love to see. Uh, Mm. And therefore, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling positive. I want to gush about Exeter City and the way that they operate as a football club, as a fan-owned football club, no less, uh, in League Two. On the pitch, not such a good time to be talking about Exeter because they've lost their last three games in League Two. Oldham, Tranmere, Cheltenham, all of them have beaten Exeter City recently. And I still think that at this stage of the season where there are quite a lot of teams that you've got a decent steer on, you know, three quarters of the way through, I can't say that about Exeter at the moment. They're, they're a real feast or famine team. 
They're the top scorers in League Two and they've scored three goals or more eight times this season. And no one in the league can beat that. But they haven't been filling their boots recently at all. Clean sheets have been equally hard to find. So the upshot of that is this poor form and they've dropped away from automatic promotion contention and now they've got a fight on their hands just to reach the playoff places and I think that's that was kind of the expectations this season. So work still to do starting this weekend, a huge game really, regardless of the, the news angle, the Wellens and Watkins angle. This is uh, a match between two teams who are occupying the two spots just outside the playoff places with two points between them. Both of them with games in hand on the teams above them, but plenty of points to make up. So a fascinating one, an early game as well on Saturday, 1pm kickoff. So if you're someone who likes to um, settle down with some eye follow, watch an early game, then make this the one that you watch. Exeter against Salford, Exeter the favourites with Paddy Power 6-5, to Salford 21-10 to and the draw 11-5. to that's it for this week then thank you very much to Phil Buckingham for taking us through the Terriers thank you for listening we'll be back next Thursday Matt and the team will be with you on Monday until then it's goodbye from us you've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. That was a really worrying time being a Rangers fan, not knowing if you'd have a team to support or not. The Scottish Football League's only acceptable position will be to place Rangers FC into the third division. It wasn't so much a football match you were involved in as a test of manhood. And with your support along the way, we will get back to where we belong. From the bottom to the top, the journey is over. Rangers are back. It all ended spectacularly in Europe when he had an argument with Rangers fans in a bush. It's a huge huge honour for me to be sat here now to be the manager of Rangers and you know the excitement levels are very difficult to contain at the moment. Drilled by Arfield, Connor Goldson looking to score again and he has scored again and Rangers are in such a good place now. Everybody in Scotland was talking about 10 this at the start of the season and the only number they're now talking about is 55. To get the full story of the fall and rise of Rangers subscribe now to be on the headline. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.